Hey everyone, in this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we're actually going to do a three-part episode, and we promise it's only going to be three parts, unlike the gun laws one, which is still ongoing. And we might actually do them in order, so it might be like three parts, even in a row. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But we're also going to continue our um, kind of series that we are creating on the fly about the Winchester Winchester Collection's 150th anniversary. So these three episodes are going to be about Winchester as the gun industry's Pac-Man. And what does that mean, Danny? Well, I mean, obviously Pac-Man is known for eating ghosts and Winchester. But they don't eat the ghosts. They eat the little thingies. The ghost kills them. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. The it's ghost is part three. Pac-Man. <laughs> Pac-Man. The ghost yeah. is part three, Danny. Uh, off to a great start on this one. Um, yeah, like Pac-Man's known for eating things up and Winchester pretty much bought out every company it could get its hands on for a certain stretch. And then itself was eaten by a ghost um, <laughs> to keep with the Pac-Man. Does the analogy. ghost eat Pac-Man or does the ghost just like traumatize I it, just it? Like I can't kills it when it makes contact. Uh, our listeners are going to be horrified at our pac-man oh my god is that like when we get to that part it's still it's around the time of sarah winchester's story is like is that like did we just make an amazing connection that we didn't even think about i think it's amazing in our own minds yes that is true (laughs) but i guess really like you didn't think it through too much because you thought he was eating ghosts the whole time i guess in this case olin would be the ghost Olin is the ghost. Yes. All right. So in the three episodes, uh, this episode, we're going to cover the probably the biggest name that Winchester swallowed up. Um, And then the next episode, we'll cover some smaller companies that people might not recognize the name and what and what they made and, you know, how Winchester went about acquiring them. And then the third one, as we've already, you know, spoiler alerted, we'll talk about uh, Winchester's untimely demise and whether or not Olin showed any mercy. (laughs) in that decision since winchester showed very little to the companies i mean like we're not hating i mean it's not like we're saying you know oliver winchester was a bad guy he was just smart and bought companies a lot this was i I, yeah this is just in the days of you know this is before things were too big to fail or whatever companies were just bought it and bought up and sold and it's really interesting industrial history and um i think probably like Labor and robber economic history too. Are they robber bands? Kinda. I mean, it's that time frame. So by the standards, by the standards of the day, you could probably argue that it's not even that aggressive. Yeah, no. All right. So the largest name that we think that Winchester bought is Spencer. Yeah. I mean, it's a really and, short and name, the, but you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not the longest name, largest name. Well, that's not even any better. Um, but no, Spencer is probably the most recognizable name of the companies that Winchester bought. Um, there's a list that we'll get into, but Spencer, of course, um, you know, came out with his repeating lever action firearm just before the Civil War, gets it tested out and adopted in larger numbers than the Henry uh, during the war. And his, the seven shot repeating rifle and carbine become, you know, widely used among Northern forces. But at the end of the war, the company hits financial trouble and 
what am I like saying you pre- you prepped this one more than me and you're looking at me like I know I, I'm laughing because like in my mind we were gonna start with like the invention and then go into the war and you were like about to just close up the story and like <laughs> but you know what go ahead tell the whole story and then we'll go back and dissect but that's why I was laughing because I was like okay what are we gonna talk about after this this is what happens when your hosts communicate as well as we do um <laughs> So yeah, then the company hits financial trouble, uh, goes into bankruptcy, and oddly enough, uh, like then you know Spencer's become this sort of like Western firearm in a way after the Civil War, but it's not because it's not through their own efforts really. Um, if anything, it's because of Winchester's efforts, uh, you know, in the late '60s. So let's break it down. Do you want to get into the details of when he invented it? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, no, I, you didn't mess me up. I was just laughing because I was like, well, this is a really short episode. We are done now. Three minutes long. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, three minutes of history and like 10 minutes of like us just shooting the shit. Um, okay, so the one thing that's kind of interesting in Spencer history, because you see it sometimes uh, like with Sharps, uh, I, I think is similar where like you've got the name of the designer, but the designer is not necessarily the person running the company, unlike Colt. Um, or Winchester. And so with Christopher Minor Spencer, um, he starts developing patents in the 18, the late 1850s. And when I was doing research for this, I learned that he took out spooling patents. Uh, he took out some in 1859. So I just think it's funny because it's like totally random. And like, you see that so much though, where people are taking out like other patents or related patents, you know, around the time they develop their firearm. But sidebar, um, like, why are all these early gun guys also inventing things for sewing so much? Oh, I think we should. Like, why it. are they we so involved it. in sewing? Winchester, Spencer, Hunt, like, all these guys are also involved in sewing. I actually think that's really interesting, and we should figure out what what's going on. Um, did you say Remington? I, I was looking at my phone. I, I didn't say Remington. I, Remington made sewing machines. So many people we're okay guys we're gonna we're gonna do a deep dive into this scandal um so yeah so he's doing patents but in around the same time he talks about the fact that he was developing this repeating rifle um and it's it all happens really fast because he gets the patent in 1860 and then he um he gets ordered by or by the government to make 10,000 rifles like at the beginning of like right near the beginning of the war. So it's like, you know, it's like, Hey, here's my like spools. And then also here's this rifle and the government's like, we're into it. Let's do this. (laughs) I I like that. I like that you're describing the civil war ordinance department as a 21st century DM conversation. (laughs) I'm into it. Um, but then I, I also didn't make the mention. I said Sharps and I just totally like Winchester and Colt and the names. So, so Christopher Spencer is not necessarily like as active, um, with the firearms, you know, they're, they're his namesake. He creates a design for him, but he works for, um, Cheney brothers. So like, it's, you know, it's, it's his name, Spencer repeating rifle company, but it's not necessarily, you know, he's not the, the person running the money. And I think, was it the Cheney brothers that had like a weird, they had some inside connection to yeah, like the um, cabinet level somebody. I was going to like, like politically, because like I was like the political cabinet or like actual cabinets. 
No, no, the political, like the like the U.S. governing cabinet officials, not they weren't also woodworking and sewing machines at the same time. <laughs> I will. I was wondering when I was reading about this. I'm like, are they related to the actual like today's Cheneys? Oh, that is. <laughs> you weren't even going there, and like that's, no. that's why. That's the only way that I was able to make the connection between cabinets not being like actual cabinets and like No, I do not mean that these were the predecessors of the Cheney political family of modern day. I meant that the Cheney brothers that were connected to Spencer were like besties with somebody in Lincoln's administration. Oh yeah, I think I think you're right with that. Um, but yeah, so they get started. Um, it's not you know Christopher Spencer running Spencer like it's Oliver Winchester running Winchester. Um, but it is his patents, it is his designs, and so you want to take it with the military stuff, Danny? Yeah. So they, you know, whether through political clout or just having a good design, the guns adopted and is used throughout the Civil War. I think it takes a little while for production to get anywhere. Um, and this is another sidebar, but in like armchair histories of the Civil War, there's always this question of like, oh, if the if that darn old Ripley had just been more favorable to repeaters. Um, and that's true to an extent, but like it took them a long time to actually be able to produce the numbers that the Union government needed. So even if everybody had been on board with like, yeah, we're going to give every soldier a Spencer to start the war, it would have taken a while. As it was, it still took, I think, till about 1863 that the guns were fielded in any numbers. Um, and-, and by then, sorry, real, 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 real quick interjection. The deal that was struck with um, the Cheneys. And- <laughs> sorry, it's never not You're never going to forget it now, are you? <laughs> The Janies and Spencer was that initially in, under the first contract that he'd get a dollar per gun. Um, yeah. But by 1863, I think it was dropped to 50 cents a gun. So like, just as it was taken yeah. off, they were like, mm, can't. Yeah. And so, yeah, by the, the middle of the war, they start to get fielded in numbers. I think rifles are the first guns to actually get issued to anybody. Um, and one of the notable units that gets them early on is Custer's 7th Michigan Cavalry, just a weird coincidence of history that he would later lead the ill-fated 7th U.S. Cavalry. Um, The other really famous unit for using them is in the Western Theater. uh, uh, I think it's Joseph Wilder and his Lightning Brigade. uh, And they play an actually a a pretty important role in a couple battles, uh, I think in Chickamauga. In 64, there's there's a couple instances where the Spencer is used uh, as sort of this last dish, la- last ditch measure and, you know, is noted for its firepower compared to all these other muzzle-loading guns that are around. Yeah. I also think there's a case to be made because the Spencer is... I want to say the low estimates on numbers sold in the in the war are about 90,000. I think the high estimates are somewhere over 100,000. You know, this is compared to the Henry rifle which maybe had 10 to 12,000 produced during the war years and of those 1700 were government contracts. The rest would have been private purchase. And so you get into this this famous expression that's supposedly about the Henry that damn Yankee rifle you load on Sunday and shoot all week. But the Henry 
is not conveniently loaded for one cartridge for every day of the week. And it would have been much less common to encounter on the battlefield. And that Henry quote is attributed to like five or six different places that you can find. So I've always kind of wondered, and this is total, I just complained about armchair history, but this is total armchair speculation. Could that quote really just have been about repeaters in general and the likely fact that most, you know, Confederate POWs that would have like talked to a Union soldier after battle probably would have encountered a Spencer, not a Henry. Any conspiracy theory brought yeah, by Dan's Danny conspiracy Martin. corner again. Yeah. I, although that's it, I never thought about it like that. That's actually kind of interesting. Um, and then I was reading something um, in, in terms of Spencer's ability to deliver to the government contracts that they were like super, they were like really late a lot um, on delivering their contracts. And so when they look at, um, I guess after, let me see if I can remember this, like there, there's, there's a very good, um, there's a very good reference of like all of the royalty checks that Spencer got. Um, and so like, you're able to actually do, and they, and they document, is this, you know, private citizenship or is this, you know, government citizenship? And, um, I guess if you review those, which I have not, um, but someone in the American society of arms collectors has, um, I guess if you review that the, the numbers of actual ones that were bought by private citizens during the war is relatively low um, in comparison to what people think. But I just thought that was an interesting thing that I found. I was like, man, what a weird place to find something, you know? <laughs> There's also um, a really weird source like that for Henry's in the Civil War because like the actual production numbers aren't known, but there's like, there are some tax documents out there. Like, so New Haven Arms had to file their taxes and they had to like report, you know, where we made this much in sales. And then you have to sort of speculate down, like how many guns does that mean? But yeah, it's like this weird... Yeah comparing what everybody says they sold versus what did they actually report when they were legally obligated to? Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, uh, but yeah, so, so the Spencer yes. becomes widely issued with this in the civil war. It's most commonly issued in carbine form. There's an 1865 variant. Um, so obviously that variant doesn't see a lot of use, but then at the end of the war, like many of these companies, um, they hit trouble. And yet another sidebar, what's with all these companies being late all the time? Like we need like the next time you're late for work, like just tell your boss, at least I wasn't two years late. Like Winchester was consistently on government contracts. You mean like Danny, you this morning? I had pancake related business to attend to. (laughs) I was late too, but I had to go to the gas station. So it's fine. Far more exciting. We're fine. We're really good at we're really good at our jobs. So moving forward, so we've we've covered the Spencer, like what? You know, oh, we asked. We never really covered what it is. Like you said, lever action. Oh, yeah, we've like, talked about it. Yeah, we should probably say what this thing that we're talking about is. I know. So like, if you're someone that's listening that doesn't know a lot about guns, like now, you know, ten to fifteen minutes into it, let's explain what the hell we're talking about. Do you want so to do the, the gun, or do you want me to? Sure, I'll do the gun, and then you can like, um, if you want to talk about like, I'm always kind of shitty with the ammunition. Do you know about the ammunition? Okay. okay. Um, so the Spencer repeating rifle, Danny already explained, it's a repeating lever action magazine fed firearm, but it's very different than like what you would you know think of with a Winchester or a Henry or the Henrys that's contemporary. So 
the Spencer is a manually cocked firearm. So in order to work it, um, if you think about like a Winchester lever action or lever actions today, when you move the lever, it cocks the hammer back and does all the other components. With the Spencer, you actually have to manually cock the hammer back in order to get it to fire. Um, but the, but the Spencer, if you look at the trigger, Danny looks like. It's, I just had a thought since you work on revolvers a lot, it's, the Henry's a double action lever and the Spencer's a single action lever. Ooh, you are correct. Golf claps. I'm so proud um, of myself. So yeah, so you cock the hammer back, but uh, there is a lever on the Spencer, but it looks more just like a fancy trigger guard. Um, but it basically drops down. You can load the ammunition or load the ammunition into it. Uh, you've got a magazine for that, but the magazine's the other component of it. That's a little bit, that's different. So when you think about like a, a Winchester, the magazine is underneath the barrel, the Spencer it's in the butt stock and it's actually removable. And there were, and Danny, you can talk about this a little bit more because I know you know about it, that there were like like speed loading mags for Spencer's as well. So like you could just walk around with a bunch of really cool tube mags, like hanging off your pants. So that like, if you were out, you could, you know, turn it out of the buttstock and pull it out or push the little button and pull it out and, you know, shove another one into it. It's just like basically like modern, modern guns. The Actually, it's not tubes. that far off. Cause it's like, instead of a pistol grip, it's the like buttstock and you're just like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's basically the Spencer is different in the lever action technology and the fact that you have to manually cock the hammer and that the, the magazine is in the butt. Yeah. And those are the two big differences. And the, I think manually cocking the hammer is a little bit slower. And for people that shoot these things, um, most report that the Spencer action is not quite as smooth as a, as a Henry lever. Um, but then it does have that advantage where you technically you can get sort of detachable magazines almost. Although I don't know if you could argue you'd be cool carrying around like a set of Blakesley tubes because they came in this like special pouch that could hold preloaded Spencer magazine tubes. And then you could like, you know, essentially just speed load your Spencer. But it's this great big like leather pouch. And it it's giving me this is not an apt comparison, but it's like the it's like the it's like the cell phone holder belt holder of the civil war in my opinion like there's no way you can look cool carrying it it's functionally it's very cool but fashion wise not cool at all so so i'd like to just take a moment to dissect that comparison because it's not that it is comparable by actual function because today there exists thing you know belts you can hook your mags on you were comparing it by level of coolness and basically saying that someone with a cell phone holster is a loser look i feel like words <laughs> are being put in my mouth here although it would all you know there's also something to be said that like modern mag holders aren't that cool like fashion wise they're mostly, I don't know. I'm going to go down a well, rabbit I mean, hole. Like, but like technically, angry, so. if you're concealed carrying, your modern mag holder is, or your like little belt to hold on to your mags is not exactly visible. So it's irrelevant, but. I'm just thinking Open of like carry. crazy things. <laughs> Open carry phone I'm just thinking holsters. of like the, the weird things I've seen at like three gun comps where people come up with all sorts of ways to carry their ammo. Um, anyways. Hey. Anyways, we're way off topic so yeah so the gun in and of itself i actually like we got so like off topic there i shut my oh, little and i was supposed to talk about ammunition oh yeah but ammunition 
The other advantage that the Spencer had over most of its contemporaries, but not necessarily the Henry, was that it used metallic cartridges. So they're much more, they're water resistant. Um, they are rimfire cartridges. And the initial one is 5656 Spencer. And there ends up being three different Spencer cartridges. There's 5652 and 5650. Um, and most 19th century cartridge designations that you see when there's a number and a dash, it means the, the diameter of the bullet and then the powder charge in grains. So 4570 is a great example of this. It's 45 caliber bullet over 70 grains of powder. For the Spencer, it's a different system where it is the diameter of the rim at the base and the diameter of the rim at the neck. So 56, and I always mess up like the order too, cause it's kind of backwards, but essentially the rim diameter is first and the neck diameter is second. And I think over time they shrunk the neck diameter, although there are also some interchangeability in these cartridges. So they're very weird, um, but they're metallic 56 caliber rimfire cartridges. Sometimes you just randomly know about the weirdest shit, Danny. I mean, like I do too, but like that was so much more detailed than I was <laughs> expecting from you. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyways. So Anyways, moving on. Get away from this nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Check out this loser who who's hating on people with cell phone holsters as being losers. But as I talk about the differences in three types next of Spencer diameter. um but yeah so now let's you know move on and kind of wrap up with okay so what happens here so um then they so the the civil war happens that's what happens and spencer has these contracts but really by the late 1860s you know we're basically done with this version of spencer's part of the story in terms of the original company's ownership of it so um, in 1860, it, it all happened super fast. So in 1868, uh, Fogarty acquires Spencer. Let me pull up. I think I wrote the dates down somewhere. Uh, and- yeah. So August 6th, 1868, um, Fogarty, uh, oh no, wait, I lied to you. December, 1868. That's when Fogarty acquires Spencer. And this um, was a bankruptcy sale that I think Winchester looked at, but decided to hold off on and they didn't hold off very long yeah and then they didn't hold off very long it was weird because august 6 1869 <laughs> that was when so, so basically december 1868 um spencer becomes a part of fogarty um which is a gun company which you will and we'll talk about that in the next the next episode a little bit a little bit and then um by august of 1869 winchester acquires the assets of fogarty um and i also think it's really interesting um because i was reading that the they acquire the assets of fogarty but that um i think it was the i think it was cheney never like didn't give didn't sell the patents to fogarty they sold them directly to winchester yeah there was something weird that happened with the patent in this time frame and it's it seems like Winchester had an idea that like, all right, these assets are all for sale. They're a little too high. We think the people that are probably going to buy them are also themselves not going to, like, it seems like a play where Winchester's like, these are going to come up. Like he had a hint that these were going to come up again relatively soon and held off and got them for cheaper in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Go Winchester. 
Is that is that the end of our? No, <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, so it just requires um, the company. I didn't know if you wanted to mention it at all since you said mentioned it earlier. Oh. And I honestly don't really know a ton about the marketing of Spencer's by Winchester. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah. Like what Winchester did with it? Yeah. So when Winchester buys all this stuff out, they have assets from Fogarty and from Spencer, and they have machinery. They have leftover guns. Uh, or do they? Or do they? I read one of the articles, it was like, did they get the machinery question mark? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Right. And I mean, it, it legitimately gets hard to track all this stuff. And there's a couple different versions of the stories. Um, but trying to sum it up is Winchester gets the leftover assets. And at least part of those assets are some number of Spencer rifles and carbines. Um, of course, there's value in having these guns. And Winchester's not opposed to making a quick buck, even if it is selling technically not their own product. Uh, so they market a bunch of the rifles and I think some are sold domestically, but at least a chunk of them end up going to France because France is buying up like there's a war threat and then the Franco-Prussian war breaks out. And so France buys up a ton of guns among those are Spencer's. And I think part of that deal is brokered through Remington um, in this weird swirl of just company names selling defunct company's guns to a country at war who's willing to buy defunct things. <laughs> Which uh, is also interesting because about a hundred years before France had sold all of its old musket parts and like cleaned out its inventories to the U S so turnabout's fair play, I guess. True. But we won't talk about like, the other part of that where you know france is probably still mad at us about their whole like revolution and stuff yeah i mean and we were just like no it's complicated <laughs> um and so then so winchester acquires spencer repeating rifle company through fogarty um but then it's not the end of christopher spencer's career and it's not the end of the spencer a gun company being named spencer because um he ultimately partners up with uh roper <laughs> Like, I can't remember his first name for some reason right now, because all I can think about is Three's Company and Mr. Roper, like every time. So <laughs> Mr. Roper. Um, and so then uh, what I was when I was doing the research, I realized I've been saying things incorrectly. So when you read that recoil article that I did the interview for, my apologies in advance, because I always used to say like that um, Bannerman went after Spencer, like before like for the lawsuit process, but really Bannerman bought Spencer Arms Company when um, they bought Spencer Arms Company for the pump action shotgun that ultimately led to the Bannerman lawsuit. So I always had it backwards. I thought they went straight after Spencer, but Spencer went bankrupt all on its own. So in 1889, <laughs> uh, Spencer Arms Company went bankrupt all on its, all on its own in 1889 and Bannerman bought it um, in 1890. And then Bannerman got all uppity in his britches, which actually I didn't really know a lot of the Bannerman like its own personal history but like like they took it too you know so like they got really uppity in their in their in their britches which is not an expression but I'm just doubling down on it uh they got really uppity like by buying this thing that they were like now we're going after everybody it's just like a really ballsy very random move yeah. but it also brings Spencer back around to Winchester in another way <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I never really thought about it that way. Like they just sort of buy their way in and then they act like they own the place. 
Like that's. <laughs> yeah, we've never talked about that. You know, I just knew that Spencer was somehow connected and I assumed Bannerman sued them because that's what Bannerman do. But I was wrong. <laughs> they bought them fair and square and then sued everybody else. This is this is like a flashback to our early episode about the real gun designers of the Connecticut River Valley. <laughs> Yeah, right. We could have added that extra level of drama. But yeah, so that's the biggest name um, that Winchester acquired, at least that we think of. We're probably forgetting somebody. But then it's also interesting to me because as we were saying before this call, it's the biggest name, but it really is a kind of small company in the in the scheme of, you know, the the different companies that we're going to talk about in the next you know, the next episode, it's like, okay, yeah, like Adirondack, what's that? But at the same time, Spencer had a big name, but it wasn't necessarily huge. Yeah, it was. It wasn't around very long. Yeah, it wasn't around that long, you know, short-lived, kind of small company. And, but because of its popularity in the Civil War in the West, we like, we know that name. Um, but yeah, and the next episode. And we know that name because of Winchester. Yeah, we know the name in some ways because of that. Yeah. But in the next episode, right, well, we'll dive into some of the smaller names and a few of these other stories and maybe explore more why we think Bannerman was uppity. In his britches. In his britches. Talk to you guys next week. See ya.